So 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 5 is what I'll be reading today. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpeh and of, of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the, all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so... What we have here is we have David uh, still on the, the run for Saul, but it's looking a lot more positive this morning than it has the last couple of weeks. Uh, David, in our text, is escaping from King Achish, the Philistine king, after realizing that basically his, his fearful run from Saul has led him into more trouble. Uh, he was thinking irrationally. Uh, because of fear, and uh, the, the more he did that, the more trouble he got into. And it was there in front of Achish that David realized that he had made a huge mistake. Uh, he had ran into the hands of, of the wrong person, or in the arms of the wrong person. And uh, that's where David had to uh, act, basically act like he was crazy so that the king would not do anything to him. And we talked about last week how David penned Psalm 34 later as a tribute uh, to, that, to, to that whole incident there. It was a tribute of thanksgiving and wisdom to the Lord, basically for rescuing him from the hands of his enemies. One of my favorite verses from that psalm is verse 4, where it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Uh, we talked about how that was a blessing for David and how, how that's so true for us today. When we have made mistakes in the past, it's because we have been uh, living outside of God's word, we have been responding to fear. We're not thinking about things in, from a biblical perspective, but rather we're thinking them, about them from a fleshly perspective. And uh, we've, we've all been in a situation where we've made a big, huge mistake, and we do not know where to go from there or what to do from there. But the Lord makes sure to take, he makes sure to take care of us and to deliver us from all of our fears. And that was a wonderful tribute from David uh, to the Lord. But as David escaped from King Achish, we see, um, we, we see him come back to the Lord, so to speak, in our text. And he's beginning to look more like his old self. Uh, he's beginning to look more like the king or the man who was after God's own heart. And what's wonderful, in these five verses, they seem very, very simple, but there's a lot of truth into them. There's a lot of depth into them. And within these five verses, uh, God, through David's life, teaches us some very important truths about, uh, basically about faith and repentance. So that's what we're going to talk about today, mostly the topic of repentance. So may God give us wisdom to understand, a conviction to change our mind, and also uh, may he help us to respond in faith as we study this passage. Uh, give you some context, or some more context. So David is leaving uh, the land of the Philistines, going back to Judah, and that's very, very important, that's very significant that David is escaping to the cave of Adullam, and we, that significance cannot pass us by. 
When David retreated from his enemies to, or when David retreated to his enemies to find refuge, as I said before, David only found more trouble. And as we look at that now, playing Monday morning quarterback, we can look at that situation and, and it scr we scratch our heads because it doesn't make any sense for David to run to his enemies to find refuge. But like I said, when you're fearful of one thing, you forget about everything else that you're fearful of or that you should be fearful of. And uh, he goes and tries to find refuge in his, with his enemies and obviously finds more trouble. Now he's escaping back to Judah and he found refuge in the Lord. And as Christians, that is the only place where we can find true refuge. Uh, for one thing, he's back in the kingdom. He's back in the kingdom that God has promised him or had promised him as a future king. Uh, no longer is he, is he in enemy territory. Uh, so in a sense, we are seeing this picture of David running away from his enemies, running away from his trouble uh, and running to the Lord. And so instead of running in fear for his life, now he's running towards the Lord and we see the Lord bless him in at least three ways. First, the Lord blesses David with people. I know that's, uh, that may sound simple and for some of you that might sound frightening that David was alone and all of a sudden now he has people. But it's awesome to see how people are so important to us. Uh, not just people in general, but people who love us and people whom we love. Uh, especially people of the church, people who are, are kin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, but here, David is blessed with people. And we see as he fled, he was completely alone. In fact, he had to lie about not being alone. And uh, as soon as he follows the Lord, he was blessed with a following. And this is not only family, because that is a blessing. His mother and father heard that he was back in Judah, so they wanted to go back and be with him. But there were many other people as well. Look at verse 2. It says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So what's awesome is that we see this blessing from the Lord. David comes back uh, to him and we start to see the Lord bless him with people. This ragtag group of men that the Bible speaks of here were the beginning of his kingdom. It was as if God was starting over with David. He had ran away in sin. He's coming back to the Lord. And now the Lord, now the Lord is establishing his kingdom slowly but surely on, in his timing. Now, I can't help but to see how similar that this ragtag group of men is, is, is similar to the, the men who would follow Christ. As we look at the comparison, it's, it's, it's right there. Uh, through them, God would build his coming kingdom on earth. David started off with 400 men, but God made them a mighty kingdom. And we're going to see that as we walk along here in First and Second Samuel. Christ started with 12 men. Now look at us. Isn't it wonderful? We, as Christians, are more numerous than the sands on the seashore. Praise the Lord. So what's the lesson there? Here's, here's the lesson. And don't ever forget this. Don't ever doubt the will and power of God. We, it doesn't help us to do that. Instead, we must trust in his word, and we must always have hope because we are the Lord's. We, we, no matter how things look, we, we must never doubt the will and the power of God. 
We must understand that anything that we go through or go against, that God has a purpose for it and that he himself is sovereign over it and that he himself has commanded us to trust him and to have hope in what he is doing in our lives. So let that be a lesson not only to David, but also to us. Secondly, when we see David come back to the Lord, the Lord calmed David's spirit. He's no longer this fearful person who's just scared of everything, running away from everything, skittish. He doesn't seem to be that type of person. He, he began to think rationally again. No, no doubt King Saul with, was very ruthless in his pursuit of David. We have already seen how King Saul tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, because Jonathan took the side of David. So basically, oh, and also next week, Pastor Laramie is going to preach on how King Saul basically just massacres all the priests that are in Israel. So we can see how his pursuit of David was just, like I said, ruthless, and no one was safe from him. And that would seem to be the reason why David or David's family came to him whenever they found out that he was back in Judah. Not only that, but also, that is the reason why David is taking his mother and father to the king of Moab. Now, speaking about thinking rationally here, although the Moabites were technically enemies of David, this was actually a good idea. And this was a lot different than taking him to the land of the Philistines. Here are two reasons why. Number one, the Moabites were not, were not fans of Saul. They were not fans of Saul at all. So here, the enemy of my enemy is my friend actually applied. With King Achish and the Philistines, they hated David more than they hated Saul. And David figured that out whenever he was in front of King Achish. But here, the Moabites have a more of a problem with Saul than they do with David. So as I said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, it was, was a smart move for David. Also, the Moabites were descendants of Lot. So what does that mean? That means they were distant kinfolk. They were blood somewhere down the line. And even more interesting is that the king was related to David's father through Ruth, who was a Moabite. So it's, it's awesome to see the connection here. So David is not just taking them to enemy territory to drop them off and then to leave. We see him thinking rationally again. We see him thinking with wisdom. And that is because his spirit is calm. See, when David left his parents, he asked if they could stay. Now listen to this, till I know what God will do for me. To me, that speaks volumes. It's, it's not like, hey, I'm dropping them off and I don't know when I'm coming back. I don't know how I'm coming back. I don't even know if I'm coming back. But listen to that statement, till I know what God will do for me. David learned to wait upon the Lord. He learned to be still. And know that the Lord is God. I, I can't help but see the clarity here. The patience. There's clarity and wisdom in the Lord. We make our best decisions when we are humbly approaching the Lord. And asking for his help and his wisdom. And we, we completely see that here. So that's the second blessing. Now the third blessing that David receives coming back to the Lord is that he is provided with, his, with the Lord's divine guidance through his word. Did you notice that as David was running from the Lord in chapter 21, 
the word of the Lord was not, was not there. It was not near David. It was not around David. We didn't hear of anything from, from the Lord in that time. It was just a narrative of David running from one place to another and leaving a trail of sin behind. But here, when he comes back to Judah and he's coming back to the Lord, the word of the Lord was, was there waiting to meet him as David returned. Look at verse 5. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now that's really encouraging. This, this uh, appearance of the prophet Gad is a good thing. Now David is, is back in Judah. He's, he, he's calm. He's making wise decisions. He is being comforted by the people that the Lord has brought to him. And then the word of the Lord comes. And not only did David hear the word of the Lord from the prophet, but also he obeyed it. He obeyed it immediately. And so we see this basically this return of David to the Lord and then the blessings that follow. Now, we know the story of David. David's not going to uh, stay in this state of grace for too much longer because he will sin against God. Or maybe I should rephrase that. David will not be as strong as he is here because he will sin against God. But we also know that the Lord continues to forgive him and use him because he is the Lord's. And that is a wonderful and beautiful picture of us. I remember a time in my life where my faith was not as strong. And there are times even today where I deal with the lack of faith. But the Lord is never unfaithful to me. He is always faithful and he always helps us in our time of need. And that's because we belong to him. But when we look at this whole Situation, and we're looking at David's life, it's encouraging to see that David is walking in repentance. Uh, there's a picture that is being painted, and if you've been a Christian for some time, especially if you were a kid and went to Sunday school, we all know the story of the prodigal son. And the picture of David returning to the Lord is reminiscent of this parable. See, David ran from King Saul in fear, and as he ran away from from King Saul, he actually, it seemed like he was running away from the Lord, just like the prodigal son as he left his father. And as David left, he left a, a trail of sin behind him. Well, at the pinnacle of his failures, David realizes, hey, I belong to the Lord. I'm, I'm not my own. I belong to someone who is greater than I. Prodigal son, same thing. He goes and he's, he's amongst the pigs and he realizes, wow, I don't have to deal with everything that I'm dealing with because I belong to someone who is greater than I in all things. So he returned completely humbled by his experience. We see David coming back to Judah from uh, King Achish in, in the land of the Philistines. He's completely humbled by his experience. And then we see the Lord receive him back and also bless him, just like the father of the prodigal son. So what we are seeing from David in this passage to me, it is very encouraging. His recent past had been filled with two things, selfishness and sin. There was no denying that. That was easy to see. Now we are seeing David having humility and also walking in obedience to the Lord. Now, it's important for us to note that we haven't seen this kind of response from Saul. 
We haven't. We, we've, we've been walking along and seeing the life of Saul. Saul has never responded this way. I had mentioned when we first started walking through 1 Samuel that Saul is one of those uh, biblical characters or biblical people that are hard to understand and even hard to even know if he was, if he was numbered amongst the elect. Um, but as, as proof continues to expose itself and we see it in scripture, more and more, I don't know about you, but I lean towards the side that he was not. Because we do not see a repentant heart from Saul. In fact, we see the exact opposite. We, saw, we see him uh, continually free fall to a life of depravity. And, and as, as we march on, we're going we're gonna to see that in Scripture. But in these five verses, we see David correcting all the things that he did wrong in the last chapter. That's an important lesson for us because when God exposes sin in a believer's life, the believer must respond in a certain way. It must, he, must, he or she must respond in a certain way. The believer must confess that sin and must turn away from it towards God. We talked about how fear exposes sin from deep within. Whenever we're fearful, fearful of something, we're usually... Well, we're usually able to hold it in, but when we are fearful of something, that fear comes out of us, and it comes out in the form of sin. But repentance calibrates us back to the will of God. And when we look at what's happening here in chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, that seems to be what is going on with David right now. There's scripture proof. We understand he left from taking refuge with his enemies and then he returned to Judah to take refuge in the Lord. Also, his fear now is under control. Instead of scared David, what we are seeing now is meek David. Uh, he patiently waited on the Lord for wisdom. We also, we also saw that, or we also see that he had faith and trust in what the Lord was doing in his life. And then, most importantly, we see David obeyed the word of the Lord. There is a saying that there's proof in, that, in, in the pudding, right? That's, that's it. That's it right there. We see all these things that David is doing. He's correcting what was wrong, what he did wrong in, in chapter 21. And all this points to true repentance. David and Saul are both reminders that we reap what we sow. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, uh, Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will also, will, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, as we compare these two gentlemen side by side, Saul's continued descent into sin led him to violence, led him to injustice, a hardening of the heart, a warped mind, on and on and on. We start to see this downward trend for Saul. David's path towards repentance led him to peace, led him to patience, led him to trust, and also led him to obedience in the Lord. Now, we must understand that at their core, both men were completely and utterly corrupted with sin. 
That's the beginning of all men. And we must understand that. But one man, the difference, one man, David, sought God and was blessed. The other man only sought to please his own desires and he was cursed. Now, the only difference is the Lord between those two men. The starting point is utter corruption, two different ending points. The only difference was one sought the Lord and one did not. One was blessed, one was cursed. That's a picture of humanity. As we live our lives, and especially as Christians, as we appreciate the fact that we are forgiven, the Lord blesses us and we are more fruitful every single day, we must remember the only difference between us and those who are lost is the Lord. He brought us to saving faith. He graciously gave us Uh, He graciously gave us peace. He gave us love. He gave us the ability to understand what we do wrong. And he also gave us the ability to obey his word. So we all all things to the Lord. But also we need to let this passage stand as a humble reminder of the necessity and also the importance of repentance. We cannot forget about that. So as believers, we are called to live a life of repentance. You know, if we say that we are going to do something, then we must understand what it is that we are going to do. Because there are a lot of Christians who know the word repentance and they say, I will repent or I have repented, but they really don't know what it means. God requires repentance of us. So what is repentance? Well, let me start off with a definition from Joel Beakey. Uh, this, I got this from his systematic, systematic theology book. It says, Christian repentance engages the whole person, the actions of the hands, the thoughts, and the motives of the heart, and the emotions of the inner man. I think that's a really important definition for us to start with. Notice that it's not just a change of behavior. But it includes the action of the hands, the thoughts, and the motives of the heart, and the emotions of the inner man. So what does that mean? It's the complete person. It involves the complete person. Repentance involves us completely. It requires a complete turnaround in our thinking, in our feeling, and also in our action. Repentance is a change of mind towards one sin that culminates in one's actions submitting to the, will of, to the will of God. That was my best attempt of defining repentance. Repentance is a change of mind towards one's sin that culminates in one's actions submitting to the will of God. Simply put, repentance is a change of mind towards sin followed by obedience towards God. It, it, it can't, they, those two have to be together. When we talk about repentance, it's a change of minds towards sin, followed by obedience to God. Now, let's know a biblical example of this change of mind and also of this change of action or behavior that is given to us in Scripture. Uh, Ephesians chapter four. Please turn there with me. Ephesians four. And we're going to read verses 28 and 29. I I really want you to see this because it's a great biblical example of repentance. Ephesians 4, 28 through 29. 
All right. So it says here, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I think that's when we speak about repentance and we want to give an example of that, that teaching is spot on. Notice, when you look at that verse, notice the change of mind about sin and also the change of behavior from sin in this passage. It says, the thief is to no longer steal, but to what? Labor. Doing honest work. I, I, I like how detailed it gets. Not just to labor for it, but also doing it honestly with his own hands that he may share with someone in need. So what does that tell us? That tells us that repentance, if someone was a thief, uh, the re repentance would look like the hands of that person who once stole must be dedicated to God by doing honest work. That would be repentance in that example. Now, the person with corrupt talk must stop such practices. And only speak as it is good for building up. Why? That it may give, give grace to those who hear. See, the person who spoke violent words, Paul says, must dedicate themselves to God and now speak words of grace for the purpose of blessing others. As we look at those two examples, that's what repentance is. It is a change of mind, but then also it is obedience towards God. So let me ask you this this morning. What sin are you struggling with? Because we all struggle with something. What sin are you struggling with? And have you repented from that sin? First, have you truly changed your mind about your sin? What do I mean by that? Well, do you hate it? Now, that's also a very important question. Do you hate it because of its consequences? Or do you hate it because it is sinful towards the Lord? If you only hate it because of its consequences, then you haven't understood repentance. We must love what the Lord loves, and we must hate what the Lord hates. And the Lord hates sin. So if we are truly to repent, we can't just have our sin around because we actually love it. We must completely and utterly hate that sin because it makes us sin against the Lord who died for us. Are you convinced that you are completely wrong and God is completely right in speaking about your sin? Because listen, if it is sin, then both, both can't be true. You can't be right and God be right if it's sin. You have to understand that you are wrong and God is completely right. So until you change your minds and submit to the word of God, you have not repented. Second, 
Do your actions meet the standards of your newly found convictions? There, there was a parishioner one time that came up to his pastor and he says, Hey, pastor, I've been sitting under your preaching for years and years and years, and now I've, I realize I'm a wretched sinner. And the pastor looks at him and says, Great, now what are you going to do about it? I think that's really important. Because to realize that you're a sinner is one thing. But to move towards repentance is something else. Because a lot of times we'll think, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm such a great sinner. We come to that realization that we're utterly sinful without Christ. And we need Christ in order to be saved. And then it just stops right there. It's like, hallelujah, I'm saved. Praise the Lord. And then there's a disconnect between that and what needs to follow through which is called repentance. There's a disconnect between saying, hey, I'm saved, I praise the Lord for it, and then turning away from that sin. And that's what God calls us to do. There's a big disconnect in the church today that people think, well, God just accepts us the way we are, and we can just stay that way. God says in his word, we are a new creation. God says in his word that we must live in obedience to him. I've never read a passage that says, come to the Lord as you are and just stay that way. The Lord's okay with you. I just never have. Because it's not in the Bible. Do your actions meet with your convictions? To simply know of your sins and not do anything to change towards holiness it's no different than what the devils and the demons do. They're completely aware of their sins and they have no desire to change towards God. Psalm 139, I'm going to use this verse for the third week. 23 to 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. See, to be led in the way of everlasting, we must follow in his steps. I love that psalm and how that verse, or those verses, how they end, asking the Lord to lead us in the way of everlasting. Well, if we're going to follow the Lord, if we're going to be led in the way of everlasting, this requires us to change something about ourselves to resemble him. Unless our actions correspond with our convictions, then... We must be honest with ourselves and we must come to the realization that we have not repented. So repentance is a change of mind and also a change of behavior or action that meets the obedience of God's word. Now, here's the second thing. That's that's repentance in itself. But how often should we repent? Well, I started off by saying that Christians as Christians, we should live in repentance. Um, Here's something important about repentance that we have to understand. There is salvific repentance and then there's sanctifying repentance. Now, I, I don't want to confuse anybody. There's no, these, these are not different types of repentance, but uh, I'm merely using the distinction so that we can understand the timing of the repentance. Uh, there are di- sanctifying repentance and then also salvific repentance just basically take place at different times in the elect's lifespan. In other words, there's repentance that leads to salvation 
And then there's further repentance that leads to sanctification. When we talk about salvific repentance, that occurs when one hears the gospel, responds to the gospel from a change and obedient heart. That's when someone realizes that he is a sinner, he turns to Christ for salvation, and he begins his new life in Christ. That is salvific repentance. But repentance does not end there. Why? Because we continue to sin. Sanctifying repentance occurs after one is already a believer, and he is confronted through the word of God, are confronted by the word of God, and he is convicted of a specific sin. He turns from that sin to God, and he continues his new life in Christ. One example is us realizing that we are sinners in need of a savior. So we come to Christ. We begin our new life in Christ. The other is remembering that we're a sinner in need of a savior, And we come to Christ on our knees asking for forgiveness and he graciously gives it to us and we continue our new life in Christ. So believers are not done with repentance after salvation. That's my whole point. We just do not come one time to God and say, I'm sorry for what I've done to you. I'm sorry for putting you on that cross. I'm sorry that you had to pay the penalty of my sin and then we're done. We must continually seek repentance. Why? Because we continually sin. It's a lifelong process, which only ends after we're in glory. We won't need to repent when we are in glory with the Lord. But until then, you and I, we must continually live in repentance to grow into the image Christ. As I close, I just want to say this one more thing. We, you and I, we should be grateful, extremely grateful, that God has gifted us with the knowledge, the conviction, and also the ability to repent. It's amazing because there are people who are walking around, they have no knowledge of Christ. They have They have debased minds. They have no conviction of their sin. And they have no ability to repent. How sad is that? They need the gospel. But for us, God has given us knowledge. He has given us conviction. And he has given us ability. That's why we need the gospel continually to remind us about that. So my prayer for all of us today is that we continually walk in repentance as we as we live a life that pleases him. Let us pray.